smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways. Welcome to Smells Jesus, a podcast from Through Christ's Church. Today we're continuing our series, Power is Perfected in Weakness. In this episode, Matt Waldron will be speaking to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16 to chapter 12, verse 10. Power is perfected in humility. Here's Matt. Well, imagine some friends invite you over for dinner. Let's uh, say for the sake of making it concrete that they're a young married couple, no kids, and you've never been to their house before. Uh, You walk in and they kind of give you a quick tour and you say, wow, you guys have really got an eye for interior design. And the man says very cheerfully, oh, I'm colorblind. It's all my wife. Right? He's delighted to tell you he's colorblind because it shows the extent to which his partner has an eye for interior design. And so this section that we're looking at today, Paul does a similar thing. He says he delights in his weaknesses because it shows God's power. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 10. That is why, for Christ's sake... I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We've been uh, looking uh, the last couple of weeks, and we've got one more to go after today, at 2 Corinthians chapters 10 to 12, how power is perfected in weakness. And I've suggested four different kind of ways we can look at that through these chapters. Uh, poor, uh, power is, uh, now I have slipped over my words, I'm not going to be able to remember the, all the, the examples. Uh, power is perfected in uh, loyalty. What was the first one? Gentleness. Power is perfected in gentleness, loyalty, humility, and uh, next time, serving. So today we're on humility. This idea of delighting in my weaknesses, because that shows God's power. And so in Christ, we are strong. So our Bible reading today finishes there in chapter 12, verse 10. Paul is continuing to deal with the problem of some Christian leaders in Corinth who are comparing themselves with one another and with Paul. We saw this back in chapter 10, verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves they are not wise. So that's what Paul's going to continue criticizing in our Bible reading today. He, he criticizes this foolish boasting through satire or spoof. In other words, he's going to talk the way those boasters talk in order to show just how foolish it is. He's sending them up. Right? He tells us that at the start of our Bible reading today, chapter 11, verses 16 to 18. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. So this is the thing that's confusing about this passage, is Paul starts off by saying, 
uh, let me give you a demonstration of how not to talk about yourself. And then he ends by saying, well, this is how I'm going to talk about myself, delighting in my weaknesses. So it's very clear where he starts. I'm going to do some boasting, which you should not do. And he ends with, I'm going to delight in my weaknesses like you should. It's a little bit hard to follow where he goes in the middle and exactly which parts are boasting and which parts are delighting in weakness. So we're going to just concentrate on the start and the end, and then I'm going to walk you quickly through the middle to show you my best guess of what I think is going on. But really, we don't need to nail that down to see the big picture. So we'll start at the start. Uh, let's read 2 Corinthians 11, 16 to 21. And notice the results of foolish boasting, worldly boasting. 2 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 16. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools, since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. So what are the results of foolish boasting? Well, remember, Paul is talking as a fool to show that it's foolish. So he basically... I've, hang on. It's not me. Hello. Ooh. Okay, well, I'm going to keep talking and uh, hopefully... Ah. Hello. Ah. Thank you, technology man. <laughs> so, what are the results of foolish bo boasting? Here, Paul is talking like a fool not the way the Lord wa would, he's talking the way the world talks, like a fool, to show that it's foolish, so you can see it. And so he's basically sarcastic in verse 19. You gladly put up with fools, since you are so wise. Right? Paul's not paying them a compliment. Admiring foolish leadership is not wise. But it does make you think you're wise. Right? Then he goes on in verse 20. In fact... You even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. Now, I'm not sure how literal that description is, but it's clearly describing leaders who behave as if they think they're better than everyone else. That's why I'm the leader, because I'm better than all of you and you should follow me. That's not Christian leadership. And the members of this church are putting up with that kind of leadership attitude. The leaders are conceited and the members lack the confidence to stand up to them. And so then verse 21 is really stinging. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Right? Paul says, I was too weak to let people slap me in the face, too weak to slap you in the face. Is it really strength? to go around being conceited? Is it really strength to go around putting people down to make yourself feel better? No. 
Right? So Paul isn't really apologizing. He's speaking foolishly in order to criticize it. He, he says this is his shame, but it's sarcastic. The Corinthians don't have the confidence to stand up to conceited leadership. What are they ashamed of? So foolish boasting is comparing ourselves to each other. The terrible irony is, comparing ourselves feeds conceit and shame. It seems to me the problem with comparing people is we're all different, right? So people are supposed to be all different. That's a, a wonderful reflection of God's creativity. So that means when I measure myself against another person, we're going to be different, I can interpret that one of two ways. I can either say, oh, they must, we must be different because they're better than me, or I can say we must be different because I'm better than them. I can either feel conceited or ashamed. Sometimes I can do both at the same time. I don't know if you can do that. Uh, but this is a real problem for us. This is what makes boasting foolish. Comparing ourselves with each other feeds conceit and shame. Uh, for example, it's been said in Australia today that obesity is the last socially acceptable prejudice. I don't know if that's true. People are certainly prejudiced against people who are obese. Uh, it does seem to be socially acceptable. I'm just not convinced it's the last one. I think there are some others. Uh, but the way that works is by comparing ourselves and then either feeling conceited or ashamed depending on our body weight. I think I told you the other week that uh, I went to a checkup at my GP and so he is a checkup, he's checking everything, so he measured how tall I was and then he put me on the scales and measured how much I weigh and then he plugged the figures into the computer and he, you know, he looked at my BMI, the, the BMI index, what it was called, you're statistically comparing you to everyone else and figuring out if you're normal. And he said, according to this, you're overweight. And then he looked at me and said, we're not going to worry about that. <laughs> right? You can compare yourself to other people and it's meaningless. You can look at yourself and go, well, am I healthy and happy? Well, then that's fine. Now, this is not the point of today's talk and I'm not an expert, but let me just say my two cents. If you are concerned about your weight, maybe stop weighing yourself. I mean, work on being healthy and happy in yourself and just don't compare yourself to anybody else. Well, our physical health is important, but much more important is our spiritual health. And it's just as easy to compare ourselves. Maybe to compare how we pray, to compare how we treat other people in our family, to compare how much money we give to charity. Whatever it is, we can compare ourselves with other people, but it just feeds shame and conceit. I mean, I want to grow in my relationship with God. I want to grow as a person. And the Bible tells us to support each other in that. How can we do that without comparing ourselves? Well, look at chapter 12, verses 9 to 10. Look at where Paul ends this section. Paul's talking about the Lord Jesus, and he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, two big things to notice here. One, 
my grace is sufficient for you. Two, my power is made perfect in weakness. So first, Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace is God's undeserved approval. Back in chapter 8, verse 9, Paul puts it like this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Uh, Now that would look good on a poster, but it's a bit of a tongue twister. What's he saying? Well, we are all spiritually poor. In God's economy, we have nothing. When it comes to the things that really matter, that really gives people value, that really gives life value, we all fall very short of God's good purpose for us. And so we have no claim on God or anyone else. We've all turned away from love to selfishness to some extent. We've all turned away from thanking God for His good gifts to trying to earn good things. We've turned away from using God's good gifts to serve Him to using good things to serve ourselves. And uh, just as in physical uh, property, uh, sorry, physical generational poverty is intractable, Uh, we can't just snap our fingers and escape from our spiritual poverty either. We're stuck there in our conceit and shame. But, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that through His poverty, you can become rich. Right? Jesus gave up the riches of the glory of heaven for the shame of death on a cross. And he did that to give the riches of his glorious resurrection to people who deserve only shameful death. That is grace, undeserved, fully approving. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. Well, it might be that when uh, you compare yourself to others, you feel pretty okay. Maybe you say, I'm not as good as some people, but I'm not as bad as some people. I'm just in the the middle, so I'm okay. Well, if that's how you're thinking, I have to point out that conceit and shame are not okay, even when you manage to balance them out. Jesus died for both your conceit and your shame, and His grace is sufficient for you. It might be that when you compare yourselves to other people, uh, you just feel like you're not good enough. It might be on big things. It might be because of things that you know in your head are not that important, but you still feel a sense of shame. Well, Jesus died and was raised to clothe you in the riches of heaven. If you are trusting Him, you are a glorious majestic, awesome child of God. If other people can't see it, that's their problem. If you can't see it, that's disappointing, but that's how God sees you. Jesus says His grace is sufficient for you. So, we don't want to compare ourselves to each other. We need to trust the grace of Jesus to make us acceptable. That God endorses us just the way we are because of Jesus. 
But does that mean we just stay the way we are? Well, no, because his power is made perfect in weakness. Have a look again at chapter 12, verses 9 to 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul delights in his weaknesses because that's when he feels strong in Christ. Paul focuses on his limitations because that's when he most clearly sees God's power at work in him. Instead of comparing himself to other people, Paul focuses on his difficulties because then he feels strong with Christ working. Uh, Imagine uh, this morning after the Bible talk, you're chatting with someone over a coffee and you ask them, how can I be praying for you this week? And they say, well, I'm really awesome at my job, so could you pray that God will do His part and bring fruit from my labour? How would you feel? Wouldn't that push you to compare yourself? And either think, oh, I'm not very good at my job, or who do they think they are? <laughs> I'm better, way better at my job. Like, it, just, it would push you to compare yourself. And of course, if God answers that prayer, then the temptation will be to think the reason is because that person is so awesome, or maybe they just did it themselves and God wasn't involved at all. It wouldn't change the fact that God was involved, but it's focusing in the wrong place. Imagine you ask, how can I be praying for you this week? And they say, well, I'm, still str- I'm really struggling with my job. I'm doing the work okay but I just feel like it isn't contributing anything that really matters. Can you pray for me? Notice that's the same information, but just from a completely different perspective. Now, instead of comparing ourselves, it feels like we're in it together. And imagine that prayer gets answered. It's much more obvious that it's because of what God has done. So instead of comparing ourselves, which feeds conceit and shame, we need to delight in our weaknesses because they clearly show God's power. So I think, just like I've given you that little example of uh, imagine the person who has the kind of self-centered prayer point with the person who has the uh, delighting in weakness prayer point, that kind of contrast, I think what Paul does in the middle of this Bible passage is he does two examples of that. So the first one is in chapter 11, and he starts off by talking about his ancestry and endurance from a conceited point of view, from a comparing each other point of view, but then he turns it around and just shows it from God's point of view, well, from a here's my weakness, God's at work point of view. Let me uh, show you what I mean. So chapter 11, uh, let's go from uh, verse 21. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. So there he's saying, let me show you what boasting looks like. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. 
Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. Right? In case you're missing what he's doing, he's deliberately talking like these other leaders are doing it. And, and look, this is what they do. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Does it seem a bit over the top? That's the point. Why are, they, why are you listening to these leaders who talk like that? It's just, it's just, it's just it's, Paul's being a drama queen to criticise the people who are heading that direction. If you're going to boast, how should you do it? Well, look at verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, sorry, of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascus, of the Damascenes, guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Here's another bit of persecution that Paul's been through, but instead of it being about how amazing he's been in enduring all this. It's about how God organised for him to escape. God's not mentioned there, but see how the, the focus has changed from me and what I'm going through to just what happened to me. So, Paul here is doing the very thing He's telling the Corinthians not to do. He's doing the very thing that he's been criticising some of the leaders for doing. And so I think it's worth noticing, uh, there's, a, there's a, a time to compare someone to someone else to try and snap them out of it. Right? Imagine someone is telling you that they are the best person in the world at something. It would be reasonable to respond by saying, really? Do you know that guy? Like be reasonable to find the person who is better than them, just to kind of snap them out of what they're doing. But you don't want to leave them there and say, no, you're not the best person in the world, be ashamed of yourself. No, you're not the best person in the world, but that doesn't matter. Comparing ourselves is ridiculous. We need to be trusting in Jesus. Or there might be someone who says their life is the worst life imaginable. How can God love me? I am the worst person in the world. And you might say to them, 
I need to tell you about a friend of mine. They're even worse than you. Not that you want to stay there, but you might just want to snap them out of it to then give them the real solution. That's the kind of thing Paul is doing here. He's giving them the same information, notice, but he's looking at it from different perspectives. Uh, he doesn't tell the same story from different perspectives, uh, but he does give the same sort of sphere of boasting, his ancestry and endurance. He can list all of the things that are his sort of Jewish ancestry credentials. Aren't I awesome? He can list all the things he's been enduring, or he can say, uh, let me tell you about being a Jew following Jesus. The first time I started, uh, all the Jews, my own brothers, were so offended that they caused so much trouble that the city was guarded so that I couldn't escape. And I just was terrified and wanted to run away like a dog between my legs. And God and his kindness uh, organized for someone to lower me from a basket, sorry, in a basket, down from the city wall like someone completely useless. Right, two ways of talking about the same subject. I think you get it even more strongly in chapter 12, where he actually does talk about the same story from two different perspectives. So, chapter 12, he starts, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained, right? So, he's going back to the spoof, he's going back to the satire, going back to talking boastfully uh, the way foolish people do, comparing themselves. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. This is another sphere that some of the Christian leaders were boasting about. Verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except for my weaknesses. Now, what's going on here? This is, this is a, a very weird passage. Uh, my best guess today uh, of what's going on here is that Paul is sending up his opponents in Corinth. That is, he's saying when people are boasting about these kinds of things, there can be a kind of false modesty. Oh, uh, I won't talk about myself, but I know someone, a friend of mine, had this incredible vision. Oh, wh whether it was uh, in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows. Why does he repeat that? Because it's, it's this false modesty. Uh, I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Do you see the irony there? That sounds incredible, and it's completely useless. Right? Caught up to the third heaven, heard inexpressible things. They're so amazing that I'm not allowed to tell you. If you're not allowed to tell us, why are you telling us? So I think this is all part of Paul kind of acting out this part and doing it completely over the top so that people can say how people can see how ridiculous it is. Uh, but then he changes his tune in verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these 
surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Here is the second version of the story. God in his kindness has given me incredible encouragements for me. But because I'm sinful, I'm tempted to be conceited and arrogant about that. When in reality, the fact that I need that extra help shows that I need extra help, not that I'm great. And so, to make sure I look at it the right way, uh, God sent a messenger of Satan to torment. He sent suffering. Uh, We don't know, we've got no idea what he's talking about there, but presumably it was some specific ongoing suffering. Uh, It might have been some kind of physical ailment. Uh, And... uh, He pleaded with the Lord to take it away and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. So the same story of him having this, uh, some kind of visionary revelation once told from the point of view of comparing ourselves, it's just boastful, it's not encouraging to anyone, it's not useful to anyone. Or it's telling about the struggle involved with trying to trust the Lord Jesus and how God in his kindness has been helping Paul. Uh, In case you haven't noticed it yet, in all these these sections where Paul is uh, kind of acting out boasting, and what does boastfulness look like? What does it look like to compare yourselves to other people? All the stuff he says throughout there, it's all true. It's all true stuff. He doesn't make stuff up. It's actually all true of God. Uh, Sorry, it's all true of Paul, but it's what God has done. What's important is the perspective of how Paul looks at it and how he encourages other people to look at it. Delighting in his weakness and how God is at work there teaches Paul that God's power is behind everything else behind his personal strengths, behind the world running, behind all things. Our weaknesses don't just display God's power in our weakness. Our weaknesses display God's power in everything. That's something to delight in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are so gracious, that you don't treat us as we deserve, turning away from you and your generous gifts to wallow in shame, conceit. Thank you, instead of leaving us there, you sent Jesus to become poor in order to make us rich. Please help us to believe that it's true. Please help us to trust him instead of comparing ourselves with other people. And so, Father, please help us to be uh, confident, to look at our limitations, to share our weaknesses with other people, because that's where we most clearly see your power at work. 
and we want to see your power and know your power and honour you because actually your power is the power behind everything. Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.